Merry Christmas. There we go. Awesome. Hey, our worship team and our production team just uh, really knocked it out of the park. We're so thankful for them. It's good. And hey, and today, if you have your Bibles, we're in Ephesians chapter 3. You can go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 3. Today, uh, we're going to start in verse 14. So once you're there, just go ahead and stand with me and we'll read. Blessed to hear you guys singing with all your hearts today uh, because you know he's worthy, right? Right? Stand up. Stand up. Stand up if you don't want to stand up. Stand up if you're able. The Bible says in verse 14, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Great place to be on your knees before God. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? In love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, what a prayer. What a prayer today that we're privileged to be able to read and God in Jesus' name, fulfill it now. Fulfill that prayer now in every heart. God, for those of us standing here or sitting in this room, for those of us watching and listening online, the truth is all of our hearts are in need of your love. And so, Father, we pray that you would permeate. We pray that you would fill. We pray that you would influence. We pray that you would enlighten and empower, that we would leave this place with cups that are overflowing with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat today. Desiree said it, man, it's true. It's been a wild ride this year. Um, you know, I think that we could look back on this year and sum it up in all sorts of terms. You know, we're going to talk about that a little bit more next Sunday. Um, but I do think that we could call 2023 a year of technology. It was, I mean, every year seems to be, uh, we seem to be like pushing the envelope of technological advancement. But it was a little mind-blowing this last year. I don't know if you're aware of this, some of you probably read it, um, but the FDA just approved a gene editing um, procedure for life-threatening diseases. And so um, if you have these particular life-threatening diseases, they have the technology now to go in and edit your, your genes. Kind of like a Word document, a little more complicated, but cutting and pasting and pulling things out and putting things in, um, maybe, Maybe the big hitter of this year was OpenAI's release of ChatGPT. And, uh, you know, it's, if you use ChatGPT, it, it seems omniscient, seems kind of sentient for some of you. It does your homework. For, for some of you, it does your emails. Like, I know because I used to get your emails, and the new ones that I get from you definitely are not you, right? A little, <laughs> little more articulate, a little more intellectually advanced. 
Um, but you know, ChatGPT can do a lot of things. I was uh, researching it a little bit, and you know, it actually can tell jokes. And so um, I collected the top three ChatGPT jokes of 2023. Don't like get your expectations too high here. Um, the first one is this: Why do we tell actors to break a leg? Say why. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Because every play has a cast. You want another one? Okay. Why did the golfer bring two pants? In case he got a hole in one. <laughs> Steven liked that one. That's good. Do you guys want another one? Okay, here it is. Why do science, scientists trust atoms? Why don't scientists trust atoms? Because they make up everything. All right, so look, there are things chat GPT can't do, all right? It really can't tell jokes, and it can't love you. It can give you a definition of love. In fact, chat GPT's definition of love goes something like this. It says, love is a complex and multifaceted emotion that encompasses a range of feelings, attitudes, and behaviors. It goes on to say it is often love, that is, is often described as a deep affection, attachment, or strong emotional connection between individuals. Now, I'm not saying that I subscribe to that. There are aspects of it that are true, um, but even with that definition, I just want to remind you, your technology can't do that for you. Your technology can't love you, and love matters. You're made to love, and you're made to be loved, and you know you know this is true because you feel the drive to love and to be loved, and because you know how it feels when you're unloved. You feel that emptiness. You feel that, that compelling need to fill that hole within your heart. And maybe even more than that, you feel, you feel it when love is broken, when things don't go the way that you want them to with someone that loves you. Two top psychologists recently said this. They said love is necessary for our very existence, both as individuals and as a species. They went on to say love is as fundamental to us as the, and I do like this, it's as fundamental to us as the food we eat and the air we breathe. Now, you don't need chat GPT to tell you this, and you certainly don't need two well-known psychologists and their arguments about it because we just look at the anecdotal evidence. We sing about love all the time. People write movies. People write books. We arrange our lives. We're willing to sacrifice for love. We dream about love. Some of us are searching for the perfect love. We're on a quest to find that love that won't fail us, won't break up with us, won't divorce us, won't cheat on us or betray us or disappoint us or run out on us. We're looking for a love that won't get bored with us. Deep down inside, we may, we may not articulate it like this, but deep down inside, what we really want is a love that's self-giving, sacrificial, unconditional, endless, and transformational. That's what our hearts are longing for. Now, I say all of that to you, and maybe you're thinking this, 
You're thinking, Derek, that sounds, that kind of love sounds like it's not of this world. Show me where is that person that will love me like that. A person that will be altogether self-giving and sacrificial and unconditional and will love me in an endless transformational way. And, and the truth is this, we're celebrating him today. We're celebrating him today. His name's Jesus. I know this prayer, maybe not a prayer that you're uh, familiar with considering or, or thinking about, but really it just does. As we unpack it a little bit, it expresses the greatness of the love of God. And Paul is, as he's writing this, he's conveying to these particular people that really what they need is they need the love of all loves. They need the love of all loves. This is his prayer that they would begin to understand and take in hand and be able to grasp this greatest love. I'm talking about the love that 2,000 years ago was heralded by a host of heavenly beings as they filled, they filled the skies in an innumerable way, the Bible says, and made the proclamation to the shepherds that were gathered there on that starry night. Glory to God in the highest, and among men, may there, be, may there be peace. They were ushering in, they were declaring the advent of the love of God in the person of Christ. And this is precisely what Paul says here. I want you to note that Paul is not referring to love in a generic sense, uh, Paul is not referring to an undefined love when, when Paul is talking about the greatest love, the most significant love. When Paul is, is praying for these people that in their life they would discover this love that, that is boundless in nature, I want you to note that he defines this love as the love of Christ the love of Messiah, the love of God's anointed, the love of God's sent one. It is a love, Paul says here, that surpasses knowledge. Paul isn't saying that you can't, you can't ever understand this love. Certainly, his prayer was that these people would understand it. But Paul is saying to them, it is so infinite in nature. It is so absolutely significant among all other loves that even in as much as you might get your heart and your head around it, it will still always exceed your expectations. Paul goes on to say, as he's wrapping this part of the prayer up before he says, not to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. By the way, a topic for another time. But when you are consumed and overwhelmed and sold out to the love of God, you experience the almighty power of God in your life that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. Yeah. Right? That was a freebie. The last two services didn't get that one. So, so Paul, Paul's wrapping this prayer up and he says, yes, you know, the love of Christ surpasses knowledge, but it fills you. Check this out. This is so good. It fills you with all the fullness of God. As Paul is praying for these people, you'll notice that he prays that they would comprehend the love of Christ in dimensional terms. Paul prays that they would understand the breadth or the width. Paul prays that they would understand the length Paul prays that they would understand the height 
and then Paul prays that they would understand the depth. Now, um, there, are, there are a lot of things about this that I find intriguing. The first one is this. We live in a three-dimensional world. We live in a world that has three dimensions. There's, there's width, and there's length, and there's height. You know, in the concrete world we live in, there are no other dimensions. And so Paul here, some would say, adds a dimension. Paul, I think, is acknowledging that the love of Christ is for us to be experienced in this concrete world in in definite ways, in undeniable ways, in transformational ways. But as Paul adds a fourth dimension to this, and I'm not going to talk this morning about string theory and um, the multiverse and multiple dimensions, um, but Paul does add a fourth dimension, and I think part of the implication that Paul is making here is that the origin of this love is not of this world. The origin of this love comes from another dimension. It comes from heaven's dimension. In fact, as we're talking about Advent, you know we've discussed that the word simply means arrival or coming. And the implication is that is, is that there's another point of origin. And the, po- the point of origin of Jesus, the Son of God, wasn't just the womb of Mary. It was the throne of heaven itself. The advent of love was the coming of love from heaven's dimension, which is a dimension of pure love. I want you to understand today that though sometimes, you know, we consider um, this babe that was born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger, we consider him and his coming in nostalgic terms. This was nothing less than the full invasion of heaven's love into this earth, into this realm that we live in. And for those of you who are students of Scripture, you know this is true. You connect the dots because the Bible says that God is love of all of the attributes of God. And I know that you're familiar with the many attributes of God and you appreciate them. You love them. You respect them. You enjoy them. God is gracious. Someone say amen to that. God is merciful. Listen, as I kind of roll these off, you can say amen if they touch your heart. God is merciful. God is altogether holy. God is pure. God is full of loving kindnesses and tender mercies. Of all of the attributes of God, however, the chief attribute of them all is his love. If you were to look at a picture of the mountain peaks in the Alps, you would notice that while all of them are amazing, all are extraordinary, all of them ascend almost as if they go up to the heavens, there's one that stands above all of them, and that's Mount Blanc. It stands at 15,777 feet. It is the chief peak of all of the peaks in the Alps. And the Alps are amazing in and of themselves, but you look at the chief peak and you think, man, that stands head and shoulders above all the others. In fact, its power influences everything around it. And that certainly is true concerning the attributes of God. We've been talking about how Christ is the advent of hope. I want to remind you today that he is the advent of hope because he is love. Because God, because Christ is love, we are able to have hope. Not a worldly hope where we cross our fingers and click our heels three times and, and you know, wish for something 
but the solid certainty that what God has promised to us will come to pass because it's rooted in the character and the nature of God and not in this temporary world. We know the promises of God will come to pass. We can have hope because God is love. We discussed a little bit how God is also peace, that we can have peace with God. You can finish this sentence. We can have peace with God because God is because God is love. We can have a wholeness with God. We can be complete with God. We can have security in our relationship with God. We can have the wholeness that comes from God. We can have the completeness that comes from God. We can have the security that comes from God because God is love. We talked a little bit about joy and how our joy is not built around circumstances in this life and how God uses not only the circumstances that we appreciate and we do enjoy and relish in, but also God uses suffering and adversity. And in all of that, we're able to have joy because our joy is rooted in the reality that God is love. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 16, so we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, let me ask you today, have you come to know and believe the love that God has for you? Do you know it? Have you experienced it? Has your life been transformed by the love of God? John punctuates this point with one of the most profound statements in all of Scripture. He says definitively, definitively, I don't know what your view of God is today. I don't know if you come here today as a skeptic. I don't know if you come today with concerns and worries um, and wounds. Maybe things have happened in your life that have caused you to question the character and the nature of God. I don't know today who's been influencing your life and talking to you about God in terms that don't align with what the Scripture says. But let me tell you what the Holy Bible says. The Word of God itself says that God is love. You can trust in God today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Cue for you to clap. Um, the advent of Jesus, like I said, was the fullness of God's love come into this world. One of my favorite books um, is C.S. Lewis's classic work, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you're familiar with the story, how many of you have read the story or seen the movie? Raise your hand. You guys know how it goes. Lucy Pevensey, she's kind of the marginalized child. She's, she's, uh, she's the youngest. And by the way, I'm the youngest of five, so I know how Lucy feels, all right? She's kind of like... <laughs> She's kind of forgotten. This, is, this was not my case, but um, because my sisters might be watching right now, so they'll kill me later if, if, if I say something negative. Um, but she's kind of forgotten. She's, you know, considered a little irrelevant. She's just a child. You know, she doesn't have a real understanding of life. And, and so one day, all of the kids are playing hide-and-seek in this house, and she finds, she discovers this wardrobe. She goes into the wardrobe, if you know the story, and she hides in the wardrobe and, and she begins to move backwards. And as she's moving backwards, she discovers that there's no back to the wardrobe. And so she walks back and she stumbles into this other dimension, into this other world. She enters into this other world through a wardrobe. I want you to flip the script on that and just remember with me today that Jesus Christ left his world. He came into this world not through a wardrobe, but through the womb of Mary. You remember, 
you remember Gabriel, the angel, uh, was ministering to Joseph because Joseph was, um, like I said, his world was rocked, right? I mean, he was betrothed to Mary, and all of a sudden he discovers he's heartbroken. He's heartbroken because from his point of view, with the limited knowledge that he had, it would seem to be that his betrothed had betrayed him. And so as he's pondering what to do in this very difficult circumstance, the angel Gabriel comes to him and says, hey, I mean, this is, this is my, my um, paraphrase. Hey, Joseph, chill out, dude. Like, what's happening, what's happening right now is the work of God. The Holy Spirit has placed within the womb of Mary, the Messiah, the anointed one. And you will call his name, you guys know how this goes? You will call his name Emmanuel. That is to say, God with us. God is love, love incarnate, love in the flesh. From the manger to the cross, the cry of Christ is God's love has come for you to experience. The full dimensions of love are answered in the person of Jesus. Paul, um, Paul methodically deals with every dimension of love. He talks about the width of the love of Christ. That the love of Christ stretched out to receive all who would come to him in faith. On the cross, the arms of Christ extended outward, indicating to us that no matter how bad we may think we are, no matter how good we may think we are, we all need him. We all need to humble ourselves and come just as we are to the person of Jesus. And Jesus himself said, those who come to him in faith, he will not cast away. There, in other words, he will not discriminate. He will not discard. He will not discount you. Some of you certainly have come to this place and you think that you're beyond the capacity of Christ to reach your heart. I want you to know today the width of his love. When he hung on the cross, he hung there for you and for me. I want you to understand today, according to the prayer of the Apostle Paul, the length of the love of Christ, that it stretches from eternity to eternity, that it spans from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, the love of Christ is immeasurable. It is endless. In other words, he will never stop loving you. You're never gonna get to a place where you've tapped out, you've tapped out the love of Christ, where he himself just can't seem to stand the extent of your sin or your wickedness and he himself says that you have you've extended yourself so far you're beyond my love no the reality is his love will never end he will never stop loving you someone say amen to that today it's the width of his love it's the length of his love it's the height of his love his love is able to lift you to the heights of heaven. I want to tell you today that while people around you, their love may come up short, God's love will never come up short in your life. His love, his love has, and I know some of you have experienced this here today, his love has the capacity and the power to lift you up. The fact is this, you may be discouraged today. You may, may be downtrodden today. For some of us, when these seasons roll around, it's not a time of rejoicing and sentimentality and nostalgia. For some of us, it may be a time of pain and discouragement. Our hearts may be disillusioned and downtrodden. His love can lift you up today. 
There's no pit that you might be in that he doesn't have the capacity to lift you up out of. It is the power of the love of Christ to cause you to flourish in this life. In fact, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that much more abundantly. Maybe today there's just been something that's been missing, an absence, a hole in your heart, and you've wondered, what can, what can satisfy this deep need that I have? I would say to you today, it is the love of Christ. And his love is not only able to cause you to flourish in this life and give you an abundance in this life and cause your cup to overflow in this life, but his, his love is able to lift you to the heights of heaven that when you take your last breath here on this earth because of the love of Christ, you can have the confidence that as it were, you will take your first breath in heaven and live in the eternal presence of God and his Son. So Paul is praying this deep prayer. He understands that we're never going to get to the end of it, but as much as it's possible that we would be able to comprehend it, the width, the length, the height. And then he says the depth. He says the depth. And it's no mistake here that he, he says the depth. The, the love of Christ is able to reach to the very lowest, to the very lowest. Some of you today, you've been playing a moral limbo. You've been thinking, how low can I go and still get away with it? And you found yourself in a place where you're surprised you're even sitting in a church on a Sunday morning. I know I talk to some people and invite them to church and they say, Pastor, you know what? You don't want me setting foot in your church because if I do, the very roof might cave in on everybody. Like, I'm, I'm that far gone. I'm that far gone. I'm that lost. My life is that much of a moral mess. And the beauty of the love of Christ is this. You can't go so low that he can't reach down into that pit and pull you out. You are never beyond. And, and I'm, I'm just compelled to share this with you today because sometimes there's this misperception that Christians are these squeaky clean, morally perfect, got it all together, say the right thing, think the right thing, do the right thing kind of people. And listen, um, we're on a journey. We're all, we're all on a journey. We, we're all sinners that have been rescued and saved by the blood and the power of Jesus Christ. And he is in the process of sanctifying us. But, but for some of us, he reached down into a deep, dark pit and pulled us out. Today you might be living with no hope. Today you might be looking at your past and thinking your past frames and defines your future. And I would say to you today, stop looking to your past to define your future and start looking to the love of God because he has a new beginning prepared for you right now, today in this place. Billy Graham said it like this. He said, you can fall to the very bottomless pit of sin and degradation. You can live like an animal, but you can't get beyond the love of God. And Isaiah the prophet said this. He said, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. And this is true. Sometimes when we talk about the love of God, we, we talk about the immensity of it and how the love of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for the redemption of all of humanity, effective for those who believe. And that's true. Like on a grand scale, don't ever underestimate the sacrifice that Jesus made. 
When he paid the penalty for sin on the cross, he paid the penalty for everyone who's ever sinned. Of course, it becomes effective for those who have believed. But not only that, when he died on the cross, he paid for the redemption of creation. The Bible teaches us that creation itself is burdened, it's groaning, it's waiting for the redemption of the sons and daughters of God. That day is coming, and I believe it's coming soon. But these sometimes are the terms that we think in. We think in in the multitude. We think in the macro. We think in the immense. And I just want to narrow that down today and say to you, yes, he did that for humanity. And yes, he's going to do that for creation. But, But also, don't forget, he did it for you. He did it for you. You're here today. Uh, in his seat at Awake in Las Vegas at 12.07 p.m. afternoon, December 24th, or you're watching online with a multitude of people, I want to say he knows you. He knows, he knows your name. The Bible uh, teaches us that he knows the name of every star in the heavens. In fact, scientists say there are 200 billion trillion, two, you can, you can do the math later on this, 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. And the scripture tells us that God knows and calls every one of those stars by name. So in the multitude of stars, God in his omniscience and love is able to pick out every single one and call them by name. And I just want to say to you today, if God can do that with 200 billion trillion stars, God can do that in the scope of 8 billion people on the face of the earth. God can hone in his attention. God sees you today. He knows your name. He knows your present. He knows your past. And he knows the future that he desires to give to you. You've not escaped. You've not escaped the vision of God. I was reading yesterday Um, that in the late 50s, a lady was attending a, she was at a a theater, a movie theater, watching movies. She lost her wallet. Well, just this last week, 65 years later, someone found that wallet in the same movie theater behind a wall and gave the wallet to the lady. I don't think there was probably any cash in it. Her credit cards had expired for sure, and um, she needed a new driver's license. But, But you know, it was lost. It was lost. For her, it was out of sight, out of mind. She moved on from it. Some of you feel like that's you with God. You know you've been misplaced. You've been forgotten. You're out of sight and you're out of mind. And according to what the scripture says, can I just say to you that you're never out of mind with God. He's never lost sight of you. He's never misplaced you. You may feel that way. Like you may feel like some star that's just in the, in the midst of the greatness of space, absent and forgotten, out of sight, out of mind, but the Bible teaches that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. For God so loved you. Not just that God so loved the cosmos, but God so loved you. For you to receive the love of God, it takes a step of faith. This is the way Paul says it. Paul's prayer is that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. That's powerful. That Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. 
In other words, Paul prayer, Paul's prayer was that these people would come to a place where they would acknowledge that Christ came from heaven, that he was supernaturally, by the power of the Holy Spirit, placed within the womb of Mary, that he was born into this world, that he lived a perfect life, that he suffered a substitutionary death on the cross, that he was dead and buried, that he rose again on the third day and he ascended to the right hand of God. Paul's prayer was that not only would these people believe that, but that these people would receive that into their own hearts. That just as Christ came and he found his place in a womb and he found himself on the place of, of Calvary, Golgotha on the cross, that these individuals would take up by faith the person of Jesus and receive him in their hearts. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe that today? Have you received him today? Paul, Paul in full disclosure is like, man, I want you to comprehend it. I want you to comprehend it. I want you, this Greek word's strong, I want you to lay a hold of it. I want you to take it in your hand. I want you to take it in your heart. It is evident, it is obvious when a person has taken the love of Christ in their heart because they've been transformed. You can't deny a life that has been transformed by God's love. You know, this particular day uh, means a lot to me. Christmas, Christmas Eve is a um, a lot of sentimentality and nostalgia connected to it, you know, as part of uh, what we did as a family, we'd always go to a candlelight service, and, and so 32 years ago, I went to a candlelight service. Um, the candlelight service was my prelude to partying, so I went with my sisters just out of nostalgia um, and out of sentimentality and, you know, for the benefit of family relationships. Some of you know what I'm talking because that's the exact reason why you're here today, and and, and I'm, th I'm thankful that you're here. Um, for me, 32 years ago, at that candlelight service, God was ministering to me. God was putting his word in my heart. There was an awakening that God was bringing to my soul. Seven days later on New Year's Eve, I was in jail for a whole bunch of things that I don't even want to talk to you about today. I was in jail, and, and, and when I was in jail, God spoke to my heart. God revealed to me his love for me. God opened my eyes and helped me to see how low I was going without him and how bleak my future looked without him. And 21 days after that moment, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and he began to transform me by the power of his love. I want to I tell you firsthand I want to tell you firsthand, I am speaking theologically, but, but I'm, I'm not speaking hypothetically about the love of God. I'm not speaking religiously today to you about the love of God. I've experienced it myself, and so have many other people that are sitting in these seats today. And every argument in your mind that's pressing against it and, and seemingly desiring to resist it, I want to encourage you, raise the white flag of surrender and lean into what your heart has always wanted because your heart has always wanted the perfect love. 
and that's not a her, and that's not a him, and that's not a thing, and that's not an it, and that's not a possession, and that's not an ambition, and that's not your business, and that's not your money. I mean, it is your business, but you know, it's not your business if you're a business owner. The only thing that is the perfect love is the person of Jesus Christ. Oswald Sanders said this, he said, Jesus Christ became incarnate for one purpose, to make a way back to God so that you might stand before him as you were created to do, the friend of God, the friend, excuse me, and the lover of God himself.